Hey, so I wanted to start off uh, this, uh, this morning's message uh, with just a little bit of humor. Um, I don't often do that, but then I got thinking, it's the last Sunday of 2020. We need to laugh. We really need to laugh. I mean, so, so, uh, but I, but admittedly, this, this uh, little, these, these few little funnies here, you probably, if you're, if you're younger than 40, you might not get it. If you're between 40 and 50, you'll get it. If you're be, between 50 and 60, you're living it. So it's no worries, all right? So if you're over 60, you're, you're like, this is old news to you, but okay. So, so, uh, all right. So, you ready? Get ready to laugh, okay? It's all right. I, I think I've got to prep you a little bit for that. That's, okay. So when one door closes and another door opens, you're probably in prison. To me, drink responsibly means don't spill it. Age 60 might be the new 40, but 9 p.m. is the new midnight. It's the start of a brand new day, and I'm off like a herd of turtles. The older I get, the earlier it gets late. I found that to be true. When I say the other day, I could be referring to any time between yesterday and 15 years ago. That's been Holly and I for a long time. I'm glad I finally have license for this. Um, I remember being able to get up without making sound effects. I had my patience tested. I'm negative. Remember, if you lose a sock in the dryer, it comes back as a Tupperware lid that doesn't fit any of your containers. This one's fun. You'll have to try this in a, in a new COVID envir environment. If you're sitting in public and a stranger takes a seat next to you, just stare straight ahead and say, did you bring the money? <laughs> when you ask me what I'm doing today and I say nothing, it does not mean I am free. It means I am doing nothing. I finally got eight hours of sleep. It took me three days, but whatever. <laughs> I run like the wind did. I hate when a couple argues in public and I miss the beginning and don't know whose side I'm on. When someone asks what I did over the weekend, I squint and ask why. What did you hear? When you do squats, are your knees supposed to sound like a goat chewing on an aluminum can stuffed with celery? I don't mean to interrupt people. I just randomly remember things and get really excited. When I ask for directions, please don't use words like east. Don't bother walking a mile in my shoes. That would be boring. Spend 30 seconds in my head. That'll freak you right out. Sometimes someone unexpected comes into your life out of nowhere, makes your heart race, and changes you forever. We call those people cops. Okay, so some of y'all ain't old enough for the, for the jokes, but that's okay. You'll, you'll get there. 12, 27, 20. Go back to it in the archives. It'll be funny in about 10 years. Okay. So, so praise God. So um, I've been thinking about this, uh, this thought. It's the title of the sermon today. One church can make a world 
of difference. One church can make a world of difference. And it's been in my heart and mind throughout the year, um, but I really just wanted to kind of condense some thoughts together for this idea. Um, I have to say, as we dedicated the children to the Lord today, that this church has made a world of difference in my personal life. That, uh, that years and years, years ago, before I was ever in ministry, I was part of this house and sitting in the Sunday school classes and praying at the altar and being around the people of God here in this house, many of whom you know, many of whom you don't, you didn't have the opportunity to know. They impacted my life for God. It wasn't just one sermon. It wasn't just one moment. It was a lifestyle that, that uh, lifted up Jesus in my, in my uh, understanding and in my vision. And this church made a world of difference in my life. And I believe that God's called us to be a church that makes a world of difference. And so I want to talk to you about how that happens and what that looks like. But the first thing you need to recognize is that you as an individual have been called by God. Touch your neighbor and say, you're called. I'm not just talking about full-time ministry. I'm talking about God has issued a calling for every person on the planet. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But he hasn't just called us to be individuals. He's called us to be a collective. He's called us to be a community. He's called us out from where we were as individuals to come together with what it is that he is doing in the world. And so it's important for us to make this transition, to go from being just an individual to being part of what God has called us to be a part of. The Bible says that Jesus declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is what God is doing in the world today. And so if you want to be successful, you got to be part of the kingdom of God. You got to be part of the church that he's building. Why? Because everything else in this world uh, has the ability to fall apart. But Jesus says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So in Ephesians chapter four, um, let's all read this together out loud. It's just a few verses. You ready? <clears throat> Take a deep breath. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been apportioned. To each one of us, grace has been apportioned as Christ, has been given as Christ apportioned it. My bad. <clears throat> so I, I want to talk to you today for just a minute about the idea of the power of one. One, one church, one church can make a world of difference. Where does that idea come from? We get it from the idea that one one can make a world of difference. Um, one, from one man, over 7.2 billion people on the planet today, not to mention all of the billions that have come before, from one man, right? In your notes, uh, one, uh, one tree can start a forest. One smile can begin a friendship. One hand can lift a soul. One word can frame the goal. One candle can wipe out darkness. One laugh can conquer gloom. One hope can raise your spirits. One touch can show you care. One life can make the difference. And one church 
can change the world. I, I, wanna, I want you to think back in your life for a minute. If you were to look back in your life, who were the people that made a difference in your life for God? Who showed you, what, uh, showed you a Bible and showed you the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Who showed you how to pray? Who showed you how to do personal devotions? Whose life was a, maybe even a silent witness of how to stand up under pressure? You could probably name some names today. That was just one person. Who made a difference in your life uh, to point you in the right direction? Maybe it was a key conversation where maybe you were in, in school and you weren't doing well and you met one teacher and that one teacher said one thing to you and suddenly you had a vision for your life. Suddenly you saw, thought about who you could be and you never thought that thought before. But somebody spoke a word of encouragement to you and that one conversation made all the difference. Some of you made a decision about a career based on one conversation that you had with somebody, opened up a whole uh, understanding of what the possibilities were for you. Um, I want you to think about that because you need to realize that God hinges the world on the power of one, the power of one, the power of one. It's a fulcrum. It's a shifting point. It's a waypoint along the way. And here are some ones that you and I need to get a hold of. Number one, you are called by one to belong to one another. You are called to belong. One of the biggest challenges that the American church has today is our culture's insistence that, uh, that being a lone ranger, being the John Wayne, being the standout, is what life is really all about. And so, we, so the, the Bible mitigates against that culture. It says, you know what? You, Jesus is the most important one. Now he has called you and I to belong to one another. We can't seem to get the one another thing down. We, we're all about Jesus, but we're not so much about everybody else. Unless they're safely dead. If they're safely dead, we're cool with that, Right? There's an old uh, preacher saw it goes something like this. See if you can hang with. To live above with the saints we love. Oh, that would be glory. But to live below with the saints we know. Now that's another story. <laughs> the, the reality that you and I live in, however, is how God is working to perfect us and to change us and to, and to form us into who he wants us to be. We are called, but we are not just called out by ourselves. We are called to belong. We are called to be a part of what God is doing. And what God is doing, he's working by his grace, sitting in the seat next to you. So how do we get involved with that? First of all, we've got to be completely humble and completely gentle. Here's the reality. You and I don't come to the Lord humble. We have to humble ourselves. We don't come to the Lord uh, uh, knowing how to, how to do all of this stuff. We come to the Lord, and, and you and I, we see ourselves as the center of the whole world. And then you come to know Jesus, and you realize, hey, I'm not really first. Jesus is first, and I'm second, right? There's a whole I am second movement out there that has to do with uh, our testimonies. But the reality is that you and I, are, you know, we have, a, we have a human pride that trips us up. Uh, it's either, uh, it either shows itself as arrogance, oh, you can't tell me anything because I know more than you do, or it shows itself as false humility that says, well, I don't really have anything to offer anybody because, you know, I'm just me. That's really pride. 
There's really a level of pride that every human being has to deal with, and it's death dealing in your life. You can never be the person God wants you to be unless you humble yourself. Why is that? Because pride is in opposition to God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? So what you're saying is, if you're full of pride, you're saying, that's all right, God. I don't need any grace. I got this. I can handle this. I got it all figured out. And your own pride prevents you from having everything that God says you can have. Everything that God says I'm making available to you. Lucifer, uh, Lucifer still would have been in heaven as the, as the prime worship leader except pride was found in his heart and God cast him down. It doesn't matter what your position is. It matters whether or not you're humble. Because if you're humble, God can lift you higher. But if you're proud, he will find a way to work around you until you humble yourself. I would rather humble myself than have God humiliate me. I would rather humble myself and say, God, I really need your help today. Rather than say, God, I got this figured out and then find out real quick, I don't have it figured out. I thought I had it figured out. You know, and so being completely humble and gentle, you'll never enter into who God wants you to be unless you humble yourself. Secondly, uh, in that thought, you're never going to really uh, be the spouse that God wants you to be unless you humble yourself. You're never going to be the, uh, the, the church member that God wants you to be unless you humble yourself because you don't have access to the grace that he wants to give you. Secondly, be patient, bearing with each other. Bearing with each other. That idea of patience, man, I'm telling you. How many of you had your patience tested this year? My patience was tested every time I forgot to pick up my mask out of my car before I went to, and I got halfway across the parking lot, sometimes all the way to the door, and then I had to walk back. Patience tested, right? But isn't it funny how, how patience works? Patience, that, the, the need for patience means that I'm not where I want to be. Stress is created. When I feel like I'm in one place, but I should be somewhere else. I feel like I, 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 I'm in this spot, but it's a spot I don't want to be in. And why am I so stressed out? Why is my patience being tested? Some time ago, I had this little revelation. I was on an, an airplane going somewhere. I can't even remember where. But I do remember that I was, uh, that I was sitting in the, in the seat, and I was, uh, we were taxiing out, and then we were on the tarmac, and we got the dreaded call from the pilot. We we're going to be delayed there's some weather happening at the other airport. When is weather not happening? Why do they say it that way? Uh, there's some weather happening at the other airport. Uh, we were like umpteenth in line to take off, and we were delayed out there on the, on the tarmac. And so what do you hear? As soon as the captain says, we're going to be late, delayed, it's going to be another 15 minutes, and everybody on the plane goes, oh. And then 15 minutes goes by, and he comes on with another one. And this time it was, and in a few more minutes, and guess what? I'm hearing F-bombs around me. I'm hearing the Lord's name in vain. I'm hearing ah, all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of all that, and it wasn't me. I wasn't, I wasn't cussing. I was praying for all those souls around me. But what I did notice is I was getting tense, and I was sitting there, and I stopped for a minute. I thought, wait a minute. I'm sitting here in a comfortable seat. Now, I wasn't in first class. But coach ain't half bad. So I was sitting there. It wasn't terrible. I had some snacks right there in my bag. Air conditioning blowing on my face. 
I had this revelation. What would you be doing if you were home? I'd be sitting in my comfortable chair. I'd have my snacks. I'd be sitting in the air conditioning. Huh. Wonder why I can't be patient sitting here. Got all these friends sitting around. Could share Jesus with them. Got lots of opportunities to witness. This is not so bad. You know, a lot of times when we just reframe our understanding of where we're at, all of a sudden, patience. This isn't really so bad after all, right? The, The converse is always there. Hey, it could be worse. I could be in a plane without air conditioning. I've been on planes with chickens on them. If you haven't flown with a chicken, you haven't lived. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. You know, I've been on some, I've been on some rowdy, I've, I've been on some planes that, well, we won't even go there. Be patient, bearing with each other. All of us are waiting for somebody to grow up. All of us are waiting for somebody around us to get a clue. All of us are waiting for, I wish they would do it the way I know it ought to be done. All of us are waiting for that. Can I tell you, you used to be 13. You used to be 15. You used to be 17 and a know-it-all. Some of you still are. I know because I was one. But can I tell you that if, if somebody stopped for a minute and said, do you really realize how much I had to put up with you when you were that age? But we forget. I don't really know how many times I was, I was uh, less than respectful with my words. I don't really realize, I don't really take note of all the times that I said stuff that I shouldn't have said, that I should have said stuff that I didn't say. You know, all of these different things that have added up against me that somebody else was just patient with me. Can you remember all that? Can you remember how patient people had to be with you when you were young? Probably not. Because we were busy letting the world revolve around us. Right? So why can't we pay it forward in people's lives? Why can't we just learn to be, why do we have to give them a piece of our mind? Why do we have to make sure they understand our opinion of how immature they are? How they're not where they need to be. Right? Why? We need to back up the train and say, you know what? I need to bear with one another. Letter C, I've got a typo in there. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't need to keep the Spirit. The Spirit keeps us. But we do need to keep the unity of the Spirit, don't we? We do need to recognize that the most important voice that we can hear when we're gathered together is not our own. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you have to say for us in the leadership of this house. Every team that I'm a part of, I do most of my talking in here. And when I get around the teams, I ask lots of questions. Why? Because I want to hear the wisdom that's coming from the people who have their hand to the plow. I want to hear what they have to say. We want to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Are you guys with me today? All right, it's awful quiet in here. Never know quite what that means. Number two, you are called to bring hope to the world. You are called to bring hope. Everybody say bring hope. Notice here in in this passage that this is part of our calling. We are called. Uh, There is one body and one spirit just as you were called 
to one hope when you were called. Let me tell you, the reason that I don't get wrapped around the axle about what's happening in the government is my hope is not there. My hope is not in D.C. My hope is not that people will start living right. My hope is not. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in Jesus Christ himself who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who's waiting until all things are placed under his feet. He is my hope. That's where I put my trust. And you and I have the opportunity in a season like this to bring hope to the world in which we live. First of all, God has one hope for the world. Now, every one of us is going to say Jesus, but can I tell you that without the church, the world is hopeless. Because Jesus is the hope, but without the church as a delivery system, nobody in the world will ever come to know who Jesus is. Without us functioning as one with one voice, putting our, uh, putting our arms together, locking our arms together, moving together as one. Until we learn to move together as one, until we learn to do what's in this passage, nobody is going to find Jesus. Nobody will ever hear a credible witness. They shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. You outstanding in the field all by yourself, it's very hard for you to express love that somebody else can notice. But when, when you love somebody that is less than lovely, when you respect someone that is less than respectful, then, you're, then people are watching the exchange and they're watching the life of God happen between two people. And when that happens, people say, oh, something different happening there. What's going on there? You and I are called to one hope. God has one body of Christ as his messenger, and God has one spirit to anoint us for the work. God has a work that he wants us to do. I love what Donna said earlier. Grace is free, and there's not pressure that goes along with it. Freely you have received, you and I can freely give. Amen? It doesn't cost us anything to be gentle because the one who is gentle freely gave us the gift to operate in gentleness. The one who, uh, is, who humbled himself the most and became obedient unto death, that's where I get my humility from. That's where you get your humility from. It didn't really cost me anything. He gave it to us freely. According to his grace, he just gave it to us. Where do you tap into that? Well, you say, I'm short on it. Well, just go get some more. I'm short on humility. Go look and see how Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of all. He had divested himself of all his glory and came to earth, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You can't do that in and of yourself. You have to get it from him. Go back and retap into your supply. God has one spirit to anoint us. Thirdly, you are called to release grace as Christ has given it. God's gifts are like your fingerprints. They are unique to you. I have a number of years ago, uh, I was out at my aunt and uncle's and uh, me and my cousin Jimmer were hanging around and there was a bush hog in the back and it, it was the old kind that had wheels on it and kind of like cantilever on those wheels and, and I had gone over and I picked up the uh, power takeoff as a five-year-old would do. I just wanted to test my muscles and see uh, whether or not I could lift it. I lifted the power takeoff shaft and when I did, Jimmer stepped back on the, uh, on the bush hog and it brought the tongue up and smashed two of my fingers right between the power takeoff shaft and the, and the tongue. And I was like, ah! 
instantly, you know, blood squirting out from my fingers, and I and I lost two of those uh, those two fingernails. And uh, and what it did was it it smashed one of my fingers in such a way that it, it altered my uh, my fingerprints. My fingerprints still have an imprint there that's little pock marks instead of ridges and everything. They're just my finger my fingernails are different, uh, or my fingerprints are different on these fingers. It reminds me how that your experiences and mine become the fingerprint of our life. Your testimony, even the bad things that happen in your life, when we process them through the word of God, they reframe for us. We, we can see things in the light of God's word that happened to us. It left to ourselves, we would just say, man, I can't see how anything good can come out of this. You know, all of us want to pretty much write off 2020, right? Like, Whoa. Well, there's a lot. But if you stop and you process it through the word of God, you can find that there's some really good things that happened in 2020. There, God, God wants to have the opportunity to take those things which were evil and turn them around for good. And he can do that if we will allow him to, to reframe things in our understanding. A few years ago, well, many, many years ago, um, uh, two segments of this happened. I used to tell testimony was a, when I was a children's pastor about when I was very young and my aunt would take me to this little community church. And there was this elderly lady uh, that was doing the Sunday school. And there was about three of us in the class. And I didn't know anything about God. I didn't, I didn't grow up with the Bible. I didn't grow up. Nobody shared anything with me about Jesus. So I was learning fresh, firm, firsthand information from this little blue-haired old lady that was down in the basement of this church. And so I was talking to her. She's talking about Jesus as God. And she's talking about Jesus going to the cross. In my, in my, in my little five-year-old mind, I thought, okay, God is the creator. God can do everything. God is all-powerful. I wonder if it hurt when Jesus died on the cross. So I asked the question. And she reached out and she grabbed my little five-year-old hand to which I was traumatized. Ah! This woman I don't even know grabbed my hand. She grabbed my hand and she took her thumb and she pushed her nail into the palm of my little five-year-old hand. And I was like mortified trying to get my hand back. Ah! She said, does that hurt? Does that hurt you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I grew up and became a children's pastor, I told all of my workers, you shall never, ever do that. Because that was in my testimony. And somewhere along the line, one of the workers said to me, well, you know, you need to think about that because she said, there are probably a lot of things that you don't remember, but you do remember the pain that Jesus had when he went to the cross. She reframed it for me, but I had to share it with somebody. And then having shared it, they spoke back to something that they saw that I never saw. Isn't that amazing? How many times have you gotten on the other side of a, of a difficulty and it was reframed for you? How many times uh, have you had situations and circumstance when somebody, you were talking to somebody about it and you saw it one way and they saw it a totally different way? You know, many, many years ago, there's a story about a, a very, very, very business, busy businessman. And uh, in his journal, uh, he took his son fishing one day uh, because his wife just kept insisting, take him fishing, take him fishing. And he wrote it down and he said, went fishing with my son today, a wasted day. The son wrote his own little story about the day and said, best day of my life ever 
went fishing with dad. How many times uh, have you gone through something in your marriage and you, you would consider, man, this was a, this was a tough conversation. This was a, a difficult conversation that we had. But then you get maybe just a few days, maybe a month after that conversation and you say, you know what? I heard something of her heart that I hadn't heard before. I got to know her in ways that I didn't know. She got to know how I saw things in ways that we'd not seen. There's a reframing time that needs to happen in your life and mine. Why is that important? Because it's your testimony. It's God is at work in your life and he's redeeming the things that are ugly that you say that thing is unredeemable and God says I can do something with that. Don't just, don't, don't just go through the pain and don't get some redemption out of it. Let me turn it for you. Let me change it for you. You think all of the, all of the, the, the mountaintop experiences are the best part but you grow the most in the valley. And so you got to allow God to use your story for his glory. God has some things that he's invested in you, and you need to turn around and release that to other people. God's gifts are like your fingerprints. They're unique. God's grace operates through your gifts. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Those gifts in your life don't belong to you anyway. They don't belong to you anyway. I don't know, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but uh, some of you in this room have probably, we probably share an experience. My experience uh, on a couple of times in my tenure as senior pastor, I've been subpoenaed. That's a weird feeling. I always love to see the sheriff's office. Most times I do. Till they show up with a subpoena. Oh. And usually it was a character reference or something, something, whatever. But you know what? How God subpoenas us as believers he gives us a gift. The subpoena is a demand, an authoritative demand on your life that you have something that belongs to somebody else and you need to give it away. Your experience, your grace, your gift. Let me tell you, every person in here that I, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, you've got a testimony. I survived a colicky baby. I survived five kids under the age of five. I survived. And whatever it is, is part of your testimony. You know what? You don't keep that for yourself. You owe that to these families that, that uh, you saw up here that are sleep-deprived mamas uh, that are trying to figure something out. You owe your story and the grace that goes with it. To the people who are up here today. Why did God take you through what you went through? It wasn't just for you. It was because he, he wants to pour through you some things that are powerful and things that are unique. Here's what happens when we release it. Letter C in, in your notes. God releases more grace to us as we pour out what he has freely given. Your gift is not for you, it's for somebody else. This is how the early church understood that they had all things in common. In, in, uh, when we read those passages in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, that said that, you know, that, that, that everybody had everything in common and nobody claimed that everything, anything was their own. We as materialistic Americans think that was like communal living. And that they, you know, if you had a need, then, uh, then that money was paid. It wasn't just about money. It was about when you hurt, I hurt. You have victory, I have victory too. 
when something good happens for you, I'm not, I, I'm not to, you're not afraid to tell me because uh, that I will get jealous somewhere along the line. No, I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to be excited. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Mourn with those who are mourning. But an immature church will mourn with those who are rejoicing and rejoice with those who are mourning. Oh, something bad happened to you? Oh, that's immaturity. But when we see God blessing our friend or our neighbor, we could be in the worst difficulty, but when God's, let me tell you, when God's blessing your neighbor, that's just a sign God's in the neighborhood. Get ready, he's coming your way next, right? So you need to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. Don't be jealous when, when people succeed. Be excited about it. Be encouraged about it, Amen. This last uh, thought here, I want you to get a hold of this. We're going to close. As we live out our calling, one church can make a world of difference. As we live out our calling. Um, let me help you to lift your eyes for a minute. I want you to lift your eyes beyond, uh, you know, uh, Outreach Magazine does a top 100 churches in the United States, Charisma Magazine, Christianity Today. You have all of these, all of these magazines that uh, highlight pastors and churches and all of these, uh, you know, what we call in the United States megachurch. A megachurch is anything over 2,000 in America. And, you, and you'll see the who's who's and the what's what's there. Can I just tell you um, that, uh, that the American church is very, uh, here's a fancy uh, word. I'll break it down for you. Ethnocentric. In other words, we've, in America, we feel like the world revolves around us. We feel like we get, nobody does it like us. Nobody can do it any better than us. Can I tell you that, that the first churches to break 50,000 members were not in America? The first one that I know of was in, is in Korea. David Yonggi Cho's church has been the largest. It was 500,000 back in the 80s. You know, you got churches that are making, uh, that are impacting the world in a dramatic way. There was a time when, uh, in, a, in, uh, in Christendom when the power base of Christianity was in the north and in the west. And we would consider ourselves the western church. Uh, so the northern uh, hemisphere and in the western part. Now the power, uh, uh, the, the power brokers, if you will, uh, are in the south and the east. We're talking about Africa. We're talking about Asia. We're talking about the, 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 uh, the bulk of Christianity, the, the movements of God that are happening. Let me tell you, there's a lot of nations sending missionaries to America today. Saying America's in a world of hurt. We need to send missionaries to America. You know, uh, and, and they're going to they're gonna go reach your neighbors. They're going to they're gonna go, they're going to take what it is that God has done. There's a, there's a church that I was a part of that I went out to a meeting at in, uh, in uh, California. It's a Chinese church that has started 77. It's called the River of Life Church. It started 77 churches in other countries. Uh, and it's, a, it's the largest Chinese church in America today. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing congregation. You know, God is doing a work in his church. One church. One church can make a world of difference, but we've got to act as one, don't we? We've got to act as one. We've got to recognize, you know, that, uh, that it's not about our ideas about how things ought to be done. It's about God's idea. 
We've got to learn to put down our pride and to humble ourselves and to bear with one another. As we do, we're going to watch God put a message of hope out in our hearts and minds and in our community through us. In 2021, uh, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a Vision Sunday. You're going to hear us talk a lot about get your hope up. I feel like as a church that COVID has kind of put us back on our heels. I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about us. A lot of our systems were developed for the way we used to do things, not the way things are going to be done going forward. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities that we missed that we're going to begin to move into place the right methods for discipleship, the right methods to pull people together in the congregation, both virtually and face-to-face when we can do that more in the future. And the whole point is we've got to get our hope up. We have a reason to hope. A lot of people on the planet don't know the reason that we have to hope, right? So we need to communicate that to them. So that's our commitment today. I want to pray for you. Let's stand uh, this morning. I just believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you today. He's been speaking to you today about reframing things in your marriage. He's been speaking to you today about how to bring unity into your home, how to prioritize the voice of the Holy Spirit, keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Holy Spirit wants to teach you how to humble yourself when, uh, when you want to rise up and just say, you know, my opinion is the most important opinion. Can I tell you that if you're a married couple, that, that, uh, uh, that the husband's opinion doesn't count so much as the wife's opinion doesn't count so much as we come together and we decide who are we together? What's our opinion on this? If it's all him or it's all her, then that's, that's wrong. It's got to be, what are we going to do? How do we come together on this? It's our opinion together, you know? And, and that's, a good, that's a good step in the right direction for us as the body of Christ to learn to say, okay, when we come together, how are we prioritizing what the Holy Spirit is saying in this group? It's not just one person dominating or another person dominating. It's saying, how can we take what the Holy Spirit is saying to each person on the team, each one offering their gift, And then saying, God, what do you want us to do? Father, I just pray right now over each and every person in this house, God, you have entrusted gifts to them. You have entrusted grace to them. You poured forth in their life, God, for such a time as this. God, there's no greater time to be alive. There's no greater time to be a church. There's no greater time, Lord God, to experience the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We are called with a holy calling. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters today that they would find their place in the call of God. Now, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed today, I talked about a calling. Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're online. I'm not sure. But the Lord has been calling to you. He's been talking to you. He's been talking to you about your life. He's talking to you about your future. And here's what you need to know when God calls you. He he wants you to come just like you are, just the way you are right now with all of your foul-ups, all of your mess-ups, all of the way you do things. He wants you to just come to him. Just come to him. He said it this way. I can't say it any better. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've been looking for rest for your soul in a lot of different ways. But he is 
Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest. You won't find it in a plan. You'll find it in a man. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's calling you today. He's calling you out. He's saying, I've got more in store for you. But you have to humble yourself and you have to say, you know what? I'm not going to try to figure it out anymore. I'm going to put my trust in what God has done on my behalf. On what he's done for me. On what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Took all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your pain. And it was nailed to the cross. If you need Jesus today, if you want to answer that calling today, just slip up your hand all over this place. Just slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you. I want to agree in prayer with you. God would do a work in your life. Amen. Amen. God would do a work in your life. He has already acted on your behalf. The Bible says he sent forth his word and healed our disease. Our disease is sin. He sent forth his word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word is with God. And the word, the word was God. Pray this with me all, all over this place out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I bring myself just as I am with all my fears, with all my failures. I bring them to you now. I ask you to save me. I put my trust in you. You died and you were buried. You walked out of the tomb so that I could be whole. I put my trust in you today. Come into my heart and save me. Make me yours, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.